Yay. Okay, so today is the third and final part of my little mini-series uh, called Faith Alive. How many of you know it's important that our faith is alive as opposed to dead? Okay, that shouldn't be a difficult um, uh, consideration. Um, so far we've done faith sees and we've done faith speaks and today we're going to do faith sings. And I think we've had a great example already of faith singing. And we kind of held you back a little bit because I think there might be a little bit of an opportunity for a bit more faith singing in a little while. Amen. Just prepare you for that so you can have a little rest now while I'm talking. Um, much we could say about this topic. Uh, praise in particular is such a powerful force. Uh, my plan going into the series was to use uh, King David as, as a model for a life of faith. That's why we've had numerous references up to now to the, the David and Goliath episode. You know, we, we know David, don't we, as, as shepherd boy. We know him as the giant slayer. We know him as anointed king of Israel. But we also know him as the psalmist. We know him as the harpist. We know him as, as a worshipper, a man after God's own heart. David, of course, remember, was, was the man who danced with all his might before the Lord in such an undignified manner that his wife got all upset with him. I don't think my wife needs to worry about that. So, so kind of to, to, to whet your appetites this morning, I have just three psalms uh, to share with you, little verses. Um, this gave the third one actually isn't attributed to, to David, but we'll pretend. Um, So the first one is Psalm 34, verse 1, which says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be, where? In my mouth. mouth. You guys are sharp this morning. Psalm 8, verse 1. So it's, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens from the lips of children and infants. That's us. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise, ordained praise, because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. Don't you love that? And Psalm 149 verse 6 says, May the praise of God be in their mouths, a double-edged sword in their hands. Hey, I'm getting excited already. I haven't just started yet. Okay, so if we combine those three Psalms together we can deduce something like this. That the praise is a double-edged sword which has power to silence the enemy and it should be in our mouths continually. Even on the lips of children and infants because God has ordained that we should be a people of praise. If we stay in Psalm 149 for a second and read the next couple of verses... Verse 6 said, as we just read, May the praise of God be in their mouths, a double-edged sword in their hands, to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his saints. Praise the Lord. So what is the force in this passage that's going to inflict vengeance? 
What, what's the force that's going to bind their kings? What's the force that's going to carry out the sentence written against them? The answer is the praise of God in their mouths, which is like a double-edged sword in their hands. And this is why it is so important that our faith sings. Yes, it's great that our faith sees, that we can see beyond what our natural eyes can see, to, to see what the promise of God says, what, what, the, what, the, what the, the eye of God is seeing, to see that bigger picture like David did against Goliath. It's important that our, that our faith speaks, that we, we hold fast to our confession of faith and all of that. But the third part of this little, little trio here is that our, our faith must also sing. Amen. We see, see many potent examples of, of what I've just read, essentially, throughout the Bible, actually. So, so in numerous battle scenes in the Old Testament, who goes at the front of the line? The answer is, the, well, yeah, absolutely. The priests normally carrying the, the Ark of the Covenant, which, which represented the very presence of glory of God. They would have a trumpet by their side and they'd be sent into battle first. Very clear vision. that We see that in the episode where, where Joshua and the Hebrews march for seven days around the walls of Jericho, ready to unleash that shout, to blow those trumpets and for the walls to tumble down. We see the same situation with Gideon. Remember, Gideon had this, had this, was given responsibility for the army. God whittled down the numbers down to 300 people. And they attacked the Midianites with, with jars of clay containing candles inside. They were to break the jars. The light was to shine. They were to blow their ram's horns and to shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Amen. Again, the praise of God going first. Into battle, we see how, how David again was summoned whenever King Saul had kind of one of his, his ranting, raging, tormenting fits. David was summoned to play his harp and to sing his songs, his psalms of praise, and how, how that would still the spiritual atmosphere. And King Saul would calm down. Of course, the New Testament famous story is Paul and Silas who find themselves in a rat-infested dungeon at midnight, chained, bound. You know, they hadn't done anything wrong. They were being persecuted. Couldn't have been a worse place to be. And at midnight, the text says they just started to sing those songs of praise. The other prisoners must have thought they were crazy, but they started to sing. They started to praise. And what happened? The chains fell off their wrists and the prison doors swung wide open. What an incredibly power, powerful illustration of what praise can do. And you know, we don't just start our Sunday morning services with praise songs out of habit. We don't just do so because singing those up-tempo songs makes us feel good, although it does. But you know, we sing those songs at the start because praise has been ordained as a spiritual weapon. And it's so important that we must learn how to use it because our faith must sing. Okay, so we're looking at David again. What were the principles that David understood so well? What were the principles that he practiced? Why is it so important for us, if you like, that our faith should sing? How is it that that praise 
feeds our faith and praise increases our faith as well as powerfully releasing our faith. Well, as I pondered that this week, I came up with three principles. I'm going to go through them each one by one, then we'll, we'll tie this up. If you've got your service sheet, you can open up and fill in the blanks, which is great if you have OCD. So number one, praise realigns our heart. Praise realigns our heart. Now I'm going to talk about this specifically in the context of our Sunday mornings because that's where we are right now. But this this, this whole principle applies equally in the context of your your daily life and habits. And, And here's the reality I think, and I'm not trying to be doom and gloom here, I'm just trying to be realistic. And I think it would be fair to say that that our hearts in this world, in this broken, fallen world, our hearts are constantly under assault. Our hearts are under assault from from an enemy who comes to, to steal, kill and destroy. We can all testify to that. Our heart is constantly under assault from from life disappointments and sadnesses, and perhaps doubts. Our heart is is even under assault at times from from graceless people around us. And if you know, particularly out in the world, there's some pretty graceless behaviour going on. Do you know what? Our, Our faith is under attack. Our confidence is under attack. Even our relationship with the Lord is under attack. Attack. And do you know what? Over, over the course of a, of a normal week, it's easy for our hearts to become misaligned. I said this a couple of weeks ago, actually, but it's, it's a good illustration. When your back becomes misaligned, you go to the chiropractor for an adjustment. We used to go to a chiropractor in Peterborough and he had this kind of horseshoe-shaped machine and he used to go down our, our spines piece by piece, just kind of sending, I think, a little electric shock, just kind of realigning, just making it straight. The principle being that if your back is straight, then everything else gets, your hips get straightened, your shoulders get... I'm not a chiropractor, I'm not a medic, I don't know. Darren will tell you all about that. No, he's not. He's a medical doctor, not a chiropractor, are they? Okay, so when your back is out of alignment... You go to the chiropractor for an adjustment. When your heart becomes misaligned, you go to church for a realignment. You go to church for a realignment to make sure that God is seated upon the throne and that you are not. And I know I repeat that that statement often, but you know it's so important because life works so much better if God is on the throne and you are not. Yeah. And I think we can look at that from two angles. We can look at that from a, from a kind of controlling and selfish, it's all about me angle. And that might be true from time to time. But as I think about that, it's more, more likely to be from a, you know, because I'm seated upon the throne, the burdens of life are sitting heavily upon my shoulders and, and I have to fix it. And it all depends upon me. And you know what, like, like your back, if all of that stuff gets out of alignment, it sends all sorts of referred shooting pain all around your psyche. 
as I said, we're so much better off with God on the throne. And do you know what? That, that requires a constant realignment. So as I said, when, you, when your back becomes misaligned, you go to the chiropractor for an adjustment. When your heart becomes misaligned, you go to church for a realignment. We go to church to remind ourselves that he is a great, big God. God. Amen. To, to remember and to give thanks for all he's done. I mean, realistically, folks, the first three songs in our service, that's what we're doing. We're singing great big God songs. We're reminding ourselves how amazing he is. We're, we're reminding our, ourselves of what see, he sees. How sees he sees our circumstances. We're reminding ourselves of who he is and what he's done and what he's promised that he would do. We come to church to, to feast on his word and that, that, of course, rebuilds and replenishes our hearts and realigns us. Can you see then why, why, why praise is so powerful and so important? Because when God is on the throne, everything just works so much better. And that's why we sing those great big God songs. I, I was in conversation with someone recently and they said that there, there seems to be, certainly from their observation, there seems to be in the Christian world at the moment, qu- quite a lot of the songs that are being written are a bit egocentric. If you look at the, at the lyrics, there's quite a lot of, of I and me. It's not a huge amount of you and him. And, and there's definitely a place, I'm not denying it, for songs of confession and songs of declaration, that they can be very powerful, very helpful. But the, pow- the, the primary purpose of our praise is to magnify God Almighty. Not, not to make God feel good, Trust me, God's doing just fine. But to make sure that our hearts are properly aligned. And God knows how crucial that is for our well-being. And that's why the psalmist said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. Because that's the way that praise realigns our hearts. Anyone come to church this morning... Little battered and bruised, thinking, do you know what I really need is a heart realignment. I suspect we all do. We might not have put it quite like that, but I hope this morning you'll get it. So that's number one. Number two is praise corrects our confession. Last time, if you can remember, it was, it was two whole weeks ago. I encourage you over the following week to take inventory of what you heard coming out of your own mouth. Now, I don't know whether anyone remembered to do that. I asked Holy Spirit to remind you. But I don't know whether you found that encouraging or discouraging, helpful or unhelpful. But, you know, it's so important we do that, particularly in the light of the verses that we looked at last time, like Proverbs 18.21, which says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Wow. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It says those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, whatever's coming out of this mouth, you're going to eat the fruit of that. 
Doesn't that mean that it might be wise to take inventory and listen to the seed that you're sowing? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And our key verse last time, Hebrews 10 verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, just to go back a second, I asked four questions last week about our, our, our faith words. I just want to just remind you of what those were. The first question is, do you tend to talk about what you can see with these eyes, what you can see with your faith spiritualized? What, what do you tend to talk about? That's the, do we, do we speak about our mountain or do we speak to our mountain principle? The second question was, was with your words, what seed are you sowing? In line with Proverbs 18.21. The third question, if you remember, was are, are your words routinely limiting you? Particularly if your words are words of faith and doubt and anxiety and fear. Did I say faith? Fear. That there's a danger that they end up binding you up. And the fourth question is, are you using your sword? Sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Are you actually using that or is something else coming out of your mouth? You know, the great thing about praise is praise ticks all four of those boxes. You know, many of the praise songs that we sing are pure scripture, particularly some of the old school ones. You know, many of our praise songs, the ones we sung today, are absolutely oozing, bursting, full of faith. Many of the songs we sing are are based on strong scriptural promises. They take a powerful stand against the enemy and his devices. The the songs that we sing, they, they see and they sing about the big picture rather than perhaps the narrow, maybe distorted view that we get sucked into of our own current circumstances. And you know, praise words are critical because they change our confession. They turn our confession from grumbling to gratitude. Now, I'm sure you lot never grumble. I'm sure you lot never have cause to grumble, but I have a sleeky little suspicion, maybe I should just speak for myself, over the course of a week, it's occasional that I burst out of church on Sunday full of praise and gratitude, but as the things of the world hit me, a little bit of grumbling might occasionally sneak out. Well, we can correct that on a Sunday morning by singing songs of thanksgiving. Praise words are critical because they turn our confession from fear to faith. We're not singing fear, we're singing faith. They, they turn our confession from doubt to unbelief, from timidity to boldness, from error to truth, because that's what we're singing, from death to life, from cursing to blessing. As I said, over the course of the week, our words may get just a tiny bit careless at times. We may slip into, into negativity, into fear and doubt, we may forget that the goodness and the authority of God in, in the hurly-burly of life. But you know, praise gives us the opportunity to grab hold of what's coming out of our mouths and correct it. Amen. To turn it back from problem to promise. To turn it back from despair to hope. From confusion 
and uncertainty to truth, from sinking sand to solid rock. And you know, we may have sown some dodgy and corrupted seed over the course of the week, but we have the opportunity to readdress that balance on a Sunday morning. And equally, we have the opportunity to make praise a priority and a habit in our everyday lives. If in doubt, start praising. When, When you're under pressure, praise God. When you're feeling a little low, put on some uplifting praise music. When you're, when you're on the verge of a crucial decision, remember to praise God. And there are many, many benefits to that besides the two that we've just said. And especially number three. And number three on my list is that praise changes the spiritual atmosphere around us. There's something about praise that that changes the spiritual atmosphere. Have you ever been into a room and and as you come in, you can sense a spiritual atmosphere? Sometimes that can be a good thing. I, I love the fact that many times people come into this place and they say, even if it's in the middle of a week and they're just a vacuum cleaner, they can sense and perceive a a peace in the room. Equally, you've been into a room where a couple have just been arguing. You never know it because they're sweet as pie by the time you walk in, but you can just sense a lingering spiritual atmosphere. You know what I mean? So we are designed to operate in a praise environment. Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times, His praise will continually be on my lips. What does praise do? Praise narrows the divide between heaven and earth. Praise praise quickens our spirits and quietens the flesh. Praise keeps God's sovereignty and God's purposes and God's promises right at the forefront. Here's a statement for you. Praise is the key to the presence of God in your life. It's a massive statement. I'm going to back that up in a minute. Praise is the key to the presence of God in your life. Equally, I don't know why I'm coming to tell you you, you guys this. You you know this. Praise actually is the key to the absence of the enemy in your life. Praise closes the door to the work of the enemy and swings it wide open to the work of the Spirit. Praise turns the soil of your heart. Praise plucks up the weeds in your mind. And praise sows the seed of God's word liberally. Here's the verse, Psalm 22 verse 3. I'll give you three translations of this. Psalm 22, verse 3. New Living Translation said, You are holy, talking about God, you are holy, enthroned on the praise of Israel. Remember, we talked about who is on the throne. God is enthroned where? On the praises of his people. The King James, the old King James, I love the old King James, says, But thou art holy, O thou 
that inhabitest the praises of Israel. God literally inhabits our praises. I looked up the Hebrew word there and it means to dwell and to abide. The Amplified puts it like this. It says, but you are holy, O you who dwell in the holy place where the praises of Israel are offered. Do you know, God's presence is manifest and his power is displayed where and when his people praise him. Conversely, if you do not praise God, you will not experience or enjoy his presence. And that applies either in a church context or in a personal life context. Equally, the devil knows the power of praise. After all, if you do a bit of theological digging, what was Lucifer's created task before his fall? Isaiah tells he was created to to lead worship from earth to heaven. That, That was his initial mandate. And I think it's because of that that the devil hates praise. I don't know about you, but I think that's good news, and I'll tell you why. See, I, I think of it like this. If, if you were the devil, which, which you're not, of course, wouldn't someone praising, wouldn't someone reminding you of God's power and great deeds, and reminding you of your less than rosy future, wouldn't that make you run screaming? Do you think the enemy whose great problem is pride is going to hang around in that environment? That's why our praise can literally change the spiritual atmosphere. I guarantee you, if you praise God, the enemy will not hang around for long. So we have James 4, verse 7 and 8, familiar verses say, Humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Very definitive, assertive statement. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Praise is the key to the absence of the devil. He will literally flee from you. And praise is the key to the presence of God in your life because if you come near to God, God will come near to you. And how do we resist the devil? Pretty simple, folks. By praising him. If you draw near to God, if you if you humble yourself before him, if you praise his name, I guarantee you the devil will not hang around. He will not hang around when he knows he's just going to get a kicking. This is why the enemy will do anything he can to keep you from praise. Because he understands its power and he hates it. You know, I... Bit of a side, I, I go into many church services and, and they almost go straight into worship. And they don't sing those songs of praise at the start. It's so crucial as we get that double-edged sword, Psalm 8, Psalm 149, we chase the enemy away, we proclaim the goodness of God, then we open the door for the presence of God to come Amen. in worship. So the, the enemy, as I said, will do anything he can to keep you from praise. He will try to affect your mood. How many times do you come into church 
on a Sunday morning and said, I can't quite explain why. I've been fine a week, but this morning I just feel heavy. I feel leaden-legged. I just, I just don't feel like praising today. Well, guess what's happening? The enemy will try to entrench you in pride, make it all about you. Why should I praise him? Doesn't he know my problems, my issues? And he will try to do anything he can to keep you from corporate praise environments. You know, I, I hold a huge amount of stock in the Word of God. I love to preach and I prepare hard. But you know what? If you just come for the first 10, 15 minutes of a Sunday morning service and sing those great big praise songs and go home then, you'll go home changed. I believe that stopping you praising God is Satan's way of keeping you depressed and defeated. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. How do we get into the presence of God? Through the gates of thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Praise is the key to the presence of God in your life and the key to the absence of the enemy in your life. Praise closes the door to the work of the enemy and it swings it wide to the work of the Spirit. God's presence is manifest and his power is displayed where and when God's people praise him. Let's just go back to those couple of those psalms at the beginning. Psalm 149, verse 6. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. You see now a little bit more why that is the case? That if we can get praise coming out of our mouths, we can soon cut the enemy down to size. Sing those great big God songs and soon our problems won't seem quite so insurmountable because we'll be reminded that our God is so much bigger. I love that song, Every Giant Will Fall, and the bridge in there, and it talks about God being greater, and God being bigger, and God being stronger, and Steve's putting in capital letters on the screen. I love that. Psalm 8, verses 1 and 2. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. God has ordained praise. That word literally means God has appointed, God has established praise from your lips because he knows it's the way to silence the enemy. And you know what? I'm confident that a key to living a victorious Christian life is to be a person of praise. Conversely, swing that around. Have you ever seen a defeated Christian who really praises? Is that that person who comes in and it might look from the outside as though all the troubles of the world are upon their shoulders, but you ask them how they're doing and they say, bless God. God is good. He's seated upon. Rowan keeps this every single time you see him. How's everything going? It's going great because he's learnt this principle. You know, praise repeatedly reminds us that the victory has been won and that we are on the victory side. It's easy to forget that, but that's the reality. 
praise reminds us that the enemy is under our feet. That he is subject to our authority as the body of Christ. And that he is bound to obey God's command. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Anyone else in there love the word always? Amen. If you want victory in your life, yeah. praise him. Amen. Just, just a quick aside there. Victory in life doesn't necessarily mean that all your circumstances are 100% rosy all the time. I hate to bring you bad news in a church full of good news. That won't happen this side of heaven. But that doesn't mean to say that you're not more than the conqueror. It doesn't mean to say that you're not on the victory side. It doesn't mean that the finished work of the cross and the resurrection was inadequate. It doesn't mean that Pentecostal power is not enough. If you want to walk in victory in your life, praise him. If you want to walk in God's blessing, Praise him. If we will completely saturate our lives with praise, if we adopt a constant attitude of thanksgiving, then our whole outlook, our whole demeanour, and our whole spiritual climate will change. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. Psalm 113 verse 3. From the rising of the sun. Unto the going down of the same. Which is pretty short these days. Shortest day. The Lord's name is to be praised. Right at the start. Until right at the end. God's name is to be praised. So my encouragement to you is cultivate a climate of praise around you. Make sure that praise and worship music are at the top of your Spotify playlist or however you listen to your music these days. Make sure that praise and thanksgiving play a prominent part in your prayer life. In fact, I would go so far as to say, in, in line with what we've said, Psalm 100 verse 4, you know, entering his gates with thanksgiving, his courts, I think every prayer session should start with praise and thanksgiving. And I tell you, even if you don't feel like praying, by the time you've sung some praises, by the time you've uttered some thanksgiving, your whole attitude, attitude atmosphere will have changed and you'll feel like praying all of a sudden. I'd encourage you to read from David's Psalms every day. The great for faith stimulation. You know, as soon as the, the storm clouds start to rise, begin praising. When you're feeling down, when you start to feel yourself sliding into negativity, start praising. Amen. Even if you don't feel like it. And put up a praise guard against despair and disappointment and depression. We've sung already a great song, I think, that captures it really, really well. And the words are going to go up on the screen right now. It's called Raise a Hallelujah. And it says, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than my unbelief. It doesn't say there won't be unbelief. It just says that our praise is going to be louder than our unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I love my brother tells a story. My brother loves to sing. My brother's a praiser. Remember his message here on crazy praise? It was a great message. 
And, and I remember him, him telling that night a story about someone said, I've got this massive great problem that you're facing, John. He said, you're not going to be able to sing your way out of this one. And John, because he's gracious, on the inside said, you watch me. You watch me because my weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. If you're in the ashes, feel as if you're in the middle of the ashes today, start to praise him and hope will begin to arise deep in your soul. Because death is defeated and the king is alive. With your praise, open the door so heaven can come to fight for you. So to wrap this up, our faith sees, absolutely, it's so important we can see what God sees. Our faith speaks, we should, we should take constant inventory of what we're saying because it's how we release our faith. But you know what, it's so important that our faith sings. It's such a powerful way of getting that double-edged sword out of our mouths. Such a powerful way of correcting our confession and realigning our hearts and changing the spiritual atmosphere. You know, we we read Proverbs 18, 21. If we are going to eat the fruit of our lips, which we are, I strongly recommend filling your mouths with praise. Such a powerful and effective weapon. And that praise will grow your faith. If you're feeling a little bit down and discouraged, that praise will replenish your faith. And if you're feeling the urge to pray, you're facing a mountain, that that praise will release your faith like nothing else. Amen. I'm going to invite the the worship team, the praise team, I'm going to call them today. I'm going to invite the praise team, which I know that I'm a member today, to come to the front. And uh, I'm not going to do the, when I, when I was in my teens, at this point in the service, they go, right, now let's push the chairs away. And you can only guess what that meant. It meant the charismatic hop was required. I have no desire to do that to you because I love you too much. But I tell you what, we, we, let's just spend a bit of time just responding to that. You know, at the end of this year, just before Christmas, before that break, heading into 2020, two, 2020, whatever you call it. Let, let's, let's make sure that we're walking in this principle. We, we'd got a couple of, of strong um, of songs to sing out. I mean, I, I, we will open the prayer corner. You know, if you want prayer, feel free to go and they'll, they'll happily pray for you. But, you know, today you might just want to just stand in your seat and take that sword out, fill up your mouth and get it firing or whatever your problems are. And we've deliberately, as you can see, tilted the surface. You've got 15 whole minutes, which is ages. And so that gives us plenty of time to sing. And what we'll do is I'll ask Dave, if you wouldn't mind, coming up, showing us his Christmas jumper just one more time and closing the service. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray as I winkle my way over to the piano. God, we thank you that you are a heavenly Father who is worthy of praise. And thank you, Father, that gradually you are teaching us why it is so important that we be a people 
of praise, whether that be corporately as we gather together, attempting to fulfill your mission and do your work here, whether it be in our personal lives as we, as we run our households and work in our workplaces and, uh, and deal with the issues that life throws at us. God, would you help us to be a people of praise. This week, Lord, would you be ever stirring our hearts? Would you be ever whispering in our ears, giving us that holy prick, poke, poke, prod, if you like, that reminds us. As the storm clouds start to gather and we can start to hear the rain falling, now is the time. Now is the time to start singing about how good God is. Now is the time to start singing the promises of God. Now is the time to get that double-edged sword coming out of our mouths, Lord, because I'm convinced that if we would be a people of praise, everything would change for the better. Work in our hearts, and do that, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.